Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Travel Talks, where this week I'm joined by the show's new co-host, Saunders CB. So when I started up Travel Talks, Saunders was someone I wanted to get onto the podcast from the very start. I've been watching his YouTube videos for many years now, so I knew he would have some amazing stories to tell, and he did not disappoint. After recording this episode, we knew there were so many untold stories that we decided to come together to create a brand new Travel Talks show every other Monday, as well as Saunders joining me to co-host interviews on occasion too. I could not be more excited to have Saunders on board with Travel Talks, and after hearing this episode, you will definitely understand why. I've always loved travel. Mm. I, I think I can't remember a time where I wasn't bewildered by the idea of going to somewhere new. Uh, and just as the sun was going down, like the last sort of few minutes of the sun going behind the mountains, I was like, where's the last 45 minutes of my life gone? Mm. I, I, all, I've, all my memory of this now is going to be via this, these photos and via these things. Like I didn't appreciate this moment, which I might not get to do again. Feeding eagles off the back of jet skis in Langkawi, nice. which was like, just such a bizarre thing to say. And it suddenly turned into this thing where Ollie and I were being paid mm. to do the trip that we wanted to do, make the videos that we were going to make anyway for three months. An hour and 45 minutes later, and a pickup truck turns up and the guy's yeah. like, you two are going to here, right? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, hop in. He, the guy's sitting in the front. There's no passenger seat. We're in the cab. Saunders, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Thanks for having me. Like, it's not every day, especially in modern times, you get to talk about travel to such an extent. So, you know, I'm, I'm buzzing to be on it. Thanks for having me. So how hard has it been this year as a lover of traveling to not be able to travel? I didn't think going into, well, I say going into lockdown, but when like lockdown and the pandemic started, how much it would affect me. But I, it honestly has had such a impact on me, and I, I, not to sound too um, not to sound too negative, but it's had a pretty bad impact on me. I've, I've mm. really realised how much I value it in my life, and how much it's become such a huge part of my life, to the point where this is by far the longest amount of time that I've been in one place mm. for, and over since maybe 2013, 14. Like I'm always around the block. I spend maybe 10 to 12 weeks of the year traveling, um, sometimes for a week or two, two weeks at a time, if, if not longer, if not, and sometimes some short trips. So having to be in one place, literally in one flat for the best, almost the best part of a year now, minus a few uh, work things I've, I've have been able to travel for, albeit briefly. Yeah, massive impacts. And I've, I've completely, uh, it's, it's interesting because I've had a, um, a completely new aspect of it 
Mm. It's made me realize what I appreciated about it, you know, being in different places, kind of always being out of your comfort zone, um, never really feeling like truly comfortable anywhere. And that's the thing I like the most about travel, I think, is mm. it's like you're always the visitor, you're always the outsider. So you, you kind of have to like adapt to their way of life. And it's such a kind of refreshing thing for me. So not doing that and being kind of like set in your own ways, your own like dull routine <laughs> for a year, it's a. Uh, it's been in tough. So there's a long answer, but yeah, it's, it's had a, a pretty huge impact, but hopefully one that long-term will be positive because it has mm. reignited the, the passion and the real reason and the understanding of why I like it so much. Exactly. And not a long answer because I completely relate to everything you've said. This year has been a real eye-opener for myself as well in terms of where I prioritize travel in my life. So I was going to ask you, because of this year and the time you've had to contemplate the fact that we can't travel, do you feel like going forward, the way you travel is going to change in the future? A million percent. Um, and it coincides with a few, few other things that I've changed about my, <clears throat> my lifestyle in the last few years. Uh, and that is just kind of looking at life and looking at my own impact as a human being. Hmm. Um, and like, I, it, it sounds incredibly hypocritical because recently based on other work that i do another um i'm talking a lot about sustainability and talking a lot about uh climate change and uh, how you know the impacts that humans have on the planet and that's coming from someone that has been flying around the world for 10 the best part of 10 years creating more carbon emissions than probably most people would in maybe even a lifetime in a in a developing country so to be here now saying that this is what i want to do and this is what i want to change it's it feels hypocritical but i think it's also being aware of that impact to then have a better more positive impact going forward so in terms of the change i'd like to, to do i've set myself a very you could call it challenging you could call it uh, rigid but I've now said that any travel I do in the future has to have a positive impact. So be that every trip I do needs to have some element of volunteering attached to it, mm. or it needs to, in any content I make, it needs to be talking about the things that make that an important place to go. And it probably means that as much as my girlfriend's not happy about this, taking certain more luxury places off the agenda and going to places that there is a more of a, a purpose to the travel mm. but it's actually it's not made me think negatively towards it i'm incredibly excited to get traveling again because it's going to open my eyes to so many more things and um hopefully the idea is that i can kind of take back some of that impact that i have caused throughout my own flying and my own traveling uh, and start to turn that into something positive that sounds brilliant and also something which i'm sure everyone listening could try and implement in the way they travel going forward as well. I want to talk about your YouTube channel now because um, I really enjoy watching your YouTube videos. And of course, travel is a mutual love of mine. So I wanted to ask, as someone who comes from a YouTubing background, what made you choose travel to be the focus of your channel? It's a, it's a weird one because it didn't really ever come about as me wanting to have a travel channel. It always mm. it, The travel channel sort of found its way, the travel found its way onto the channel as opposed to the other way around. The whole thing started, there's two parts of the story, okay? The, mm -hmm. the YouTube side of it is that obviously, I say obviously, not obviously, but I come from quite a somewhat of a YouTube family mm. in the sense that both my brothers have YouTube channels. Um, Spencer has had a channel for the longest and uh, he, he kind of like set the precedent, <laughs> the tone <laughs> for the, the rest of the family. And, he, and as a result, what he's created has become quite a big part of the whole family's life in terms of the football team, things like that. So there was that influence to start there. And the only thing I had going on at the time was what I was doing for a job, which was as a, as a producer, as someone making content behind the mm. scenes, you know, I was shooting and editing things. 
Uh, and it just so happened to be that at the time that was heavily involved within sport, uh, which had quite a heavy degree of traveling. So that would be like, I don't know, one month I might be going with a, a Chelsea fans channel to Israel to cover them playing Maccabi Tel Aviv. Mm. Uh, and then the next year I'd be going with a Man United fan channel to cover their preseason tour in America. So it was a lot of travel. And the more I did it, I thought, oh, I want to personally have a way to remember this. Mm. Uh, it had nothing to do with views or subscribers or uh, any sort of like following it. I just wanted to have a place that I could document it. And I liked the idea of it being online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And because of what my brothers, my brother was doing, I thought, okay, this seems like a great place to do it. So I started doing it purely for myself and it very quickly turned into being about the travel and less about the job. Yeah. Um, and then I, I realized that I could then align that with my, other interests and passions, which I've always loved travel. Mm. I think I can't remember a time where I wasn't bewildered by the idea of going to somewhere new. And I, I think I owe that a lot to my grandparents because they, they did so much traveling, like both in the military and out of the military, but they've, they've done like six world cruises. Oh, wow. And back in, the, back in those days when they first did it, it wasn't like cruises now. It would be, you'd go to a destination, you'd get off the boat and then you'd do a load of stuff on land for like 10 days. Mm. And then get back on the boat. It wasn't like here on and off for two hours, next destination. It was way more involved. And the stories of travel back then, absolutely <laughs> mind-blowing. Like hearing some of the stuff that they did, like even big organizations that run these cruise trips, some of the stuff they were doing was like, that would be illegal now, like to do right. on a holiday. Like the idea of like um, being put in a little canoe in the Amazon and allowing these little kids to come up to the boat with live crocodiles and being like, take a picture and just throwing the crocodiles on the guests wow. to have photos like snakes, crocodiles, anacondas, like everything. It's like, you'd never get away with it now. Or you'd never see it now because of the safe health and safety, but it's like true. It's almost like true travel, isn't it? It's you're really getting an, uh, an idea of another culture and another thing. It takes you so far out of your comfort zone <laughs> that, that I honestly, I don't feel like you can really enjoy anything to the the utmost degree without being out of your comfort zone mm. so yeah I've, I've divulged a bit but yeah that uh that that played a big part but the other side was uh, in terms of the video making and the youtube is mm. fresh out of university i'd been doing some work within the the video production world and i wanted to kind of do some travels like before i get too stuck into this little mm. did i know what my career would actually become <laughs> in the future but uh, i want to get some travel done i want to kind of see more of the world and get myself out of my comfort zone mm. And a friend of mine at university called Ollie, he had exactly the same thoughts. He didn't want to get into a career before having done this stuff. So mm. we started thinking about it. And I was like, there must be an opportunity to combine the sort of work that I'd learned at university, what I'd been doing as a job while studying and travel. There must be, there must be value there. That's something mm. that like my skill set that I've built up could offer to a travel company. Mm. So we came up with this pitch, which was so pie in the sky. So like... <laughs> It was, yeah, it's a dream, dream, probably never likely to happen thing, which was we wanted to go do the Southeast Asia route, the kind of Indochina, mm. Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, et cetera. But we thought, I want to make videos while we're doing it, like little small travel videos here and there just to kind of cover the journey that would start before we went about all the process of getting visas, getting vaccinated, mm. all that stuff. And then eventually kind of going throughout the trip and live blogging it as it was kind of talked about in those days. And we're mm. talking about like 20. 13 2014 now so yeah. the youtube vlogging scene hadn't probably taken off at that point uh, it was getting there but not within the, the the way that it is now so we made this pitch which was a video of us we were both working at asos at the time like okay. doing some temp work here and we we used one of the fashion studios 
with the plain white background and we made this video it was like hi i'm saunders hi i'm ollie together we're gonna do this trip and this is why you should get us to do it with your company like it's so cringe like, if i watch it back now i'd be cringing all over the place but it was essentially saying we're going to do this trip whether you, anyone's involved or not but this this is what we're going to do surely there's some value with this wealth of content and assigning that to a travel brand so we made this pitch, put it out to about 15 different travel companies, about 12 of which never even replied to us. Mm. There three did, two actually followed up. And it then came into where one company that was taking it seriously, um, which was Gap Year, the travel company. Mm. And they said, yeah, sure, we'll do it. I, I, haven't, I don't think I've told this side of the story before. Mm. Is that we, we went into it being like, we just want to make the content. And if they can help facilitate the travel, then, you know, qu we're quids in, we're saving yeah. money traveling. We went to the meeting in this, like this, their offices and had to kind of like pitch as like 21 year olds who have no idea of pitching. <laughs> and we, we, we did the, the pitch and then they were like, yeah, okay. We like the idea of it. This is a sort of the number of uh, videos we'd like you to make. Yeah. That works blah, blah, blah. Um, and this is the sort of amount that we'll pay you to do it. Mm. And we, uh, we were in the room being like, well, pay us like we didn't like we didn't expect yeah. to be paid we thought we were just doing it for the you know you helping us like pay for our flights or whatever like we yeah. didn't think about it and it suddenly turned into this thing where ollie and i were being paid mm. to do the trip that we wanted to do make the videos that we were going to make anyway for three months that's incredible and we came back we came back better off than when we left i commend you and like it honestly it, it gave me this whole massive like eureka moment and i was like this this is what it's about. Like, mm. this isn't like, and this isn't, it wasn't a free ride by any means. Like we, we there was a lot of like editing on 12 hour overnight mm. coach journeys and stuff, like a lot of hard graft while we were doing it. But um, it made me really appreciate the video world and the value that it offers to companies mm. uh, and the value that it can offer as like storytelling. Because if, if you think about it for that company to do that, to, to pay for a someone to do that, it would cost them tens of thousands, if yeah. not more. Yeah, so very true. What what they paid us was pennies. Mm. It was probably barely touching their what people would spend on a Twitter advert now, you know. Yeah. But for us, it was amazing. But I think having that and having done that that quite strenuous three months of travel and vlogging, it made me think like, okay, I've I've got all of the skills now and all of the understanding and the graft to mm. be able to do this for my own channel. So when I started doing it for myself uh, within the work stuff, it was, it was relatively easy because what I'd done before was so much harder. Absolutely. So to keep talking about that trip, cause it sounds absolutely incredible. I wondered if you could first tell us all the countries that you went to. And also it sounds like you went right in at the deep end in terms of video production. Some of the skills you would have learned on that trip would have taken years to acquire in any sort of regular industry. What did you learn from working in that, in that kind of environment? I mean, fortunately, um, I was I was lucky because I started working within video production at like 16. Like a lot of people don't get the chance to kind of do anything on a corporate level until they've done sort of some sort of qualification or they've done like an internship or something. But I, I, I met a guy at a festival who was a video, he did music videos essentially, and he kind of took me under his wing. And by, you know, 16, I was like second cameraing on like for proper music videos. Wow. And I was getting thrown in the deep end massively and having to sort of like you know fake it till i make it like really trying to be like yeah yeah i know what i'm doing and by the way like what is this fun doing again yeah. like sort of thing but it, uh it, i think that put me in good stead going forward because then as i went into university i had this skill set and i was just basically using university to learn the theory mm. and learn like the uh the other side of it like the industry side of it as, a, as opposed to the practical side but I, had, I got a job while i was at university at a local video production company so i worked throughout 
in the industry that I wanted to get into as I studied, um, which helped me come straight out of university with, you know, two and a half, three years experience in the industry. Mm. Um, so then going into the travel thing, like I was, I was ready. I knew about like all of the basics of practical filmmaking, like video sound, uh, how to edit, how to like cut to music, all the things that you kind of learn on the job usually or learn as you're doing it. I had a basic understanding of even, even a little bit of animation here and there that I'd had to do as a job. Mm. So yeah, I was prepared there, but it was difficult because it wasn't like a cushy environment of an office. It was yeah. like a little tiny laptop, uh, a little point and shoot camera, a GoPro, and then doing it as you're, and also remembering to, to, to enjoy the travel as well as mm. making content. Uh, and it wasn't good content. Like I'll be, I'll, I'll hold my hands up now. Like <laughs> these are they're not award-winning videos. Some of them are quite fun, but they're interesting. Uh, maybe oh, that's a cool thing. But we did one video which actually got taken down. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite embarrassing. Now I don't feel great about it. But we we um we'd gone to one of the the famous shows that you that people go to in Thailand. Okay, without yeah. saying too Say much. Say no more. And and we basically uh, came back to our hostel room, set the camera up, and said, right, let's just talk about what we just saw. <laughs> And it turned into this like really honest two 20 year old 21 year old kids from like the southeast that hadn't really done that much to like being like what the hell did we just see like yeah um and the video went it was the by far the most watched video of the whole I'm series not surprised. and then i think they were worried about like how it was a it was coming across with the brand they mm. loved it the brand loved it but they were worried about what it says i think they, they they made it unlisted eventually but but yeah go back to the question i had the skill set so it wasn't it wasn't too tricky from a practical point of view but it was like a whole new baptism of fire mm. in like editing on the road and again preparing me for what i would eventually go and do more as a job with youtube blogging later mm. so i want to talk more broadly about your youtube now and ask you is there a video from the hundreds that you've made that you would classify as your favorite that's a really good question it depends which way you look at it because there are some which i think yeah that's a good video mm. i like that video from a from a production point of view mm. but there are others that are just like that was such an amazing trip mm. and even if the video is a bit crappy I, I can watch it and be like, well, you know what? That was like one of the greatest moments of my life. You know, that was mm. a really great moment. Uh, so I would say I did a, a daily vlogging series from Australia with mm. two of my housemates at the time where we had a camper van and we drove up and down basically the uh, the East Coast. Mm. So we started in Sydney, went right the way up to like basically to Queensland and then back down to Sydney, but different routes. And we, I live, live logged it. So every, every day, daily vlogged it. Um, and we were all filmmakers. Oh, nice. So it was like really fun for us. We had drones, we had like all these different oh, creative nice. ideas. Um, and that was really fun to make. Like we're two best mates making stuff, you know, it was really fun. And people seemed to really like them as well, which was great and uh, kind of made it all worthwhile in the end. And so much so that I only found out this week, I basically had a, a thing on my YouTube pop up about people using my content, like a claim thing. Okay. And I went, I just was looking about what it was. Some of them were just people just completely ripping it. And the other, mm. this one other was all in Thai. Okay. And I was like, what's, like, what's this? I clicked through to it and it was um, kind of like a webcam of a school in Thailand. And this, this, this school where the kid, a, a classroom full of kids, they were using one of my Australia videos oh, wow. to teach these kids about Australia. Oh, that's amazing. And as much as I could translate and Google translate based on what was on the presentation in the classroom, mm. it was basically like the wonders of Australia. Mm. And they used uh, my video and they credited me as well in the class. Wow. It's like someone says that. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. So I think that, that 
just that alone makes me think that the Australia videos that I've made in the past definitely up there. But in terms of trip wise and just videos that I, I, I could watch again and again and again, mm-hmm. just for the memory, for the reason that I started it, you know, yeah. the, the memory bank of, of experiences was uh, Alaska. Okay. Because it's just, uh, Alaska is an interesting place because when people talk about it, it kind of comes up in two veins. It, on one side, it's like this almost like native place that's so ridiculously natural. Mm. It's almost like beyond, it's beyond reason why you'd even want to live there because it's so cold. It's so yeah. snowy. It's so in the middle of nowhere. It's like Siberia, but in North America. And then there's the other side, which is, has the negative connotations, which is like, it's this incredibly Republican oil, oil pipelines, you mm. know, and it's seen in this negative light. And, and especially with some of the politicians that they've produced in the past, it's kind of got a backwards reputation. But when you go there, it's honestly the most outstanding beauty mm. that is uncompar- uncomparable to anything I've ever seen. Really? It's, it's just like you're in a calendar. You're in, you're in like a, a Windows wallpaper folder. Mm. everywhere you look and it's like uh even though you've seen mountains before you've seen snow before you've seen wildlife before it all has this completely different hue over it mm. which you're just around there like i'm i'm i've gone to heaven like, i'm not in the, i'm no longer a mortal i'm not living <laughs> anymore like it is just so breathtaking and i i although i feel like definitely feel like the video could have been better from my point of view mm. watching those every time i watch those videos back and they made two or three i think three no two i get that sense back yeah i get that feeling and i like there was a we did like um kind of propeller plane trips over mount mckinley which is like mm. what, the second biggest well yeah technically it's actually the biggest mountain in the world from base to summit wow everest everest just starts higher okay so but but everest is higher in total but and like seeing uh, like bears in the wild and uh caribou and massive moose and yeah, just like yeah it was just a really really culturally fulfilling experience um so i watched that video and i have really really fond memories and it takes me right back that sounds incredible and alaska obviously a place which not many people do choose to visit so similarly where is the best place that YouTube has ever taken you? Somewhere perhaps that you wouldn't have visited? That's a good question. Alaska was a was actually a, a sponsored video. Mm. Um, it ended up it ended up not really being. It was it was essentially a, a cruise company that did did excursion packages, mm. and rather than us do the cruise, they just like uh, sent us out to Alaska to do just the excursion and okay. basically ha- have the excursion and make videos about it. Um, but it was good because it meant we actually got to do way more of Alaska, excuse me, than we would have done if if you go there because it's so vast. Mm. You really like, unless you do a big road trip over the course of weeks and or a month, you're only really going to see certain parts of it, especially mm. if you go, depending on the time of year you go. But we got, you know, a good like 10 days of just blitz. Mm. Here's like loads of cool stuff. Um, so that would be up there. But I would say other than that, I don't think I'd ever go to Brunei without okay, yeah. traveling. Mm. And that's a really interesting company, uh, a really interesting country. Yeah, what is it about it that makes it so interesting? It, it's part of the island of Borneo, which the majority of is owned by Malaysia. Part of it is owned by Indonesia, and the other mm. part is this this principality of Brunei. Mm. And it's very, I don't, I don't say this politically correctly, but it's like a religious dictatorship. There's a salt, there's the sultan, which is a very religious figure who runs it. He's, he's the big boss man of Brunei. Uh, but everyone looks at him very fondly. And there's a lot of negative stories, but everyone, people, what we learned from people who, li- who live there is like he is like a pop star as well as the country's leader. 
and people queue up in their hundreds of thousands for this one point in a year to get the chance to shake his hand. Wow. It's uh, it's quite interesting. Um, and there are, there is obviously, there's a lot of negative stories with Brunei based on, you know, um, within that there is obviously certain restrictions that are put on the people that live there, but they don't necessarily know any better because that's all they know. Mm. But from a Western point of view, you'd say that you don't have access to a lot of the things that we do. Mm. But um, at the same time, they, they're they quite good at reinvesting. And because at one point he was the richest man in the world, the Sultan of Brunei, wow. uh, there's a lot of investment in the people. So there's like quite a good low, uh, um, minimum wage, quite a good standard of living. Mm. And there's a lot of investment in communities, which is nice. But it's such a very weird place because you go mm. there and like everything is so heavily controlled by this one person or this one kind of body that... Uh, we had instances i went with another youtuber ed and mm. edinger and then um, we had a a couple of examples where you go to somewhere and be like oh this is the grand palace uh where you can th- this happens here this amazing thing the guy lives here it's the, the most breathtaking place in all of brunei but you can only film it from this side of the fence okay like that sort of thing quite weird um mm. yeah you can film that but you can't oh we'll take you to um this amazing adventure park it's a really cool theme park with amazing roller coasters uh, but it's been closed for 10 years <laughs> like that sort of like, almost like north korea-esque yeah. you know um vibes but um at the same time it has incredible natural beauty Mm. We, we did like as two as two youtubers we basically were sent there and just left our own devices in this really quite odd countries based on what yeah. we were used to again comfort zone so i was loving it yeah outside of the comfort zone but there's one point where we were in like a ferry taxi which was like the tiniest little boat like basically the size of this room the boat with about 20 mm. people on it half the people had kittens and cats in little boxes <laughs> strange and then it went completely through the through the jungle wow to a place where we'd get out of the boat get transferred into a little canoe with a little motor on the back and sent another about 10 miles up river to where to a place where we were staying but all of it was like yeah just get in there and you'll be all right yeah yeah no, no just get in that boat yeah Nick, uh, wait here for 10 minutes and then another boat will turn up and you'll be all right and it's like mm. okay like, we'll try it out but they're the best experiences like the, mm. the the big trip in in asia was very similar like yeah two guys not really knowing anything about traveling and at least i had the experience from that in later later countries but you know one thing that strikes me to, please i apologize if i go off in segues here no, I it's great it's great one um one experience that i often reflect on which was uh ollie and i were in a we were going from bangkok down to um the thai islands mm. and there's like a ferry port that takes you to most of the thai islands you kind of it's about i think it's about 12 hours uh, bus journey from bangkok we did an overnight journey mm. it took us part of the way and on that part of the way the overnight bit we were like waking up to having the people behind us with their like their hands in our bags like trying to steal our things mm. and we'd heard the stories like we'd heard like you have to be careful when you're traveling because you know don't put anything valuable in the hold because there's mm. literally people sitting in the hold who go through all the luggage while you're on the bus and loads of people have their cameras stolen and memory mm-hmm. cards, which is just like, it seems trivial. It's just, you know, it's material goods. But when someone steals a memory card, that's pretty useless to them, but it's got 2000 photos of your trip on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And for us, that was pretty disastrous because that would have been what we were being yeah. paid to do. So we had this uncomfortable, like overnight bus where we didn't really sleep because we were a bit worried about, you know, mm. this stuff. And then we just got dropped off just, just us two. Now this was a coach full of people, mostly locals. Mm. Ollie and I got dropped off about halfway three quarters of the way there off this coach on the middle of a highway just nothing around next to a like a garage a car garage mm. and they said uh yeah this coach isn't going there anymore all these locals are going somewhere else so 
another one's going to come pick you up from here. So just wait here and it should be here in a minute. We're like, okay, we haven't really got a choice here. So, okay. Yeah. So we got off, we got off the bus and we're waiting in this uh, garage and five minutes pass, 10 minutes pass, half an hour pass, 45 minutes pass, like an hour and a half later, we're like, what, I mean, what do we do at this point? Mm. We're asking the guys in the mechanic in the most like broken tie you can imagine. And they have like no English. So it's, we're basically like almost drawing pictures of buses and being like this yeah. to this place. And they basically say, don't worry, don't worry, it'll turn up. So we get the impression that this is a, a fairly regular thing. Mm. So we, we trust them. An hour and 45 minutes later, and a pickup truck turns up and the guy's okay. like, you two are going to here, right? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, hop in. And this is just a pickup truck. And the guy, like he, the guy's sitting in the front, there's no passenger seat. So we're in the, we're in the cab. So we get up in the back of this open pickup truck sitting in the cab with this guy's son. And we're driving another hour and a half to get to our destination. And so we've got some amazing pictures of the two of us and this yeah. guy's son just like pulling faces at each other and stuff. Um, but it was just like, even though, like, let's talk saying that now, it sounds like such a sketchy situation. Yeah. It could have gone wrong in so many ways. It, like at the time, it felt so normal. Yeah. And I can't stress how strange that is to say that. Yeah. So it sounds like you're quite a trusting person in kind of like a travel and out, outside of your comfort zone way. Do you find that, that people are just nice? I, I think so. I mean, I'm a firm believer that, you know, 99% of the population are lovely blokes and lovely mm. people, you know, mm. lovely, lovely lads and laddesses. But um, I also am aware that there are the odd bad egg here mm. and there. And, you'd, and I, I think I'd be... I'd be foolish or perhaps a little bit. Um, I think it would be an injustice to say that there aren't people who, who are out to get you and mm -hmm. you need to be prepared for that and need to be aware and just have good street smarts. But my experience is, yeah, 99% of the people you meet wherever you go are nice people because mm. we're all humans. We all share the same values. Like we all have the same vague idea of, you know, right and wrong. Mm. And I think one thing that we have massively got wrong as a country and maybe this is the Western world, but I, I, I probably go as far as saying this is more of a UK thing mm. is we have forgot how to trust people mm. and we have forgot and we've forgotten how to see the good in things. Mm. And that's another reason why I love travel, because you're kind of like forced to remember that there people are nice. And mm. like again, on that on that big Asia trip that we spent two days um, sleeping in the upstairs floor of this uh, village hut in a rice in a rice village in Vietnam, mm. which was like completely, it was about an hour and a half to the nearest town either way. Just the people that worked on the rice fields mm. lived there. And we stayed on the floor just under a mosquito net and this family's house. And you obviously, this family don't have a lot. They're, they're, it's, it's Vietnam, so it's not exactly a booming economy mm. if in, the, in rural areas. Uh, and they're farmers. The, the spread that they put on for us for dinner was more than we'd eaten in our entire trip. Wow. And we were so aware. We let we 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 tried to return the gestures as much as we could. We left them kind of a little bit of money and and kind of like um really made an effort to kind of get stuck in. We were there, mm, so they mm. felt like what they were doing was all worth it. And it was just like this huge realization. I've had a few moments like that within like traveling of just like pure human kindness. Yeah. And just like hospitality, uh, and just people kind of going above and beyond to have pride in like their life they like yeah, they live yeah. a life and they want to kind of be like you know we 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 live this and we want you to share in it and it's mm. like it, there is the other side of it is they're so scared that you're not going to enjoy it that sometimes it can it can seem like a little bit much but you just have to embrace it you have yeah. to embrace it like it's intense but you enjoy it like the, this rice place we went this rice village mental mm. never forget this 
we got off the bus that we'd got to get there and we, we started talking to a few people that were there that speak English and they kind of helped facilitate these homestays. Mm. And uh, we were just chatting on the street and this like uh, guy comes over and we're talking and someone spots in the corner, there's a snake and the snake comes out from under, underneath of one of these buildings. It's a red snake. It's not very big, just a thin little red snake. And one of us goes, oh, a snake like that. But we're like excited. Like, oh my God, it's a snake. The yeah. guy pounced on the snake, picked it up and killed it. And we were like, whoa, we didn't want you to do that. But he was so scared that we had fear about his town really? that he immediately wanted to eradicate it. He just like, I want to make you as comfortable as possible and get rid of the snake right now. And it's like, he didn't obviously realize that we weren't saying, ah, I'm scared, get rid of it or we're mm. going home. But he wanted to have us to have the most positive experience possible. But that, I mean, as much as that's like quite a brutal thing, it's, it's testament to the kindness yeah. they have. Um, for all I know, it could have been the most poisonous snake in the world, for all I know. That situation in Vietnam sounds incredible and it's testament to the amazing people that live there. Would you say that the people in Vietnam are the friendliest you've ever encountered on your travels? Or is there another country which could come to mind? Um, I think... I, I wouldn't say that there's anywhere country specific that I've found the nicest people. I find that there's pockets of countries that is, I think it comes with the lifestyle. So I find people that live in rural areas mm. to be a lot more giving, a lot more hospitable. And um, yeah, I think like they kind of want to make your experience as possible, as positive as possible. And mm. you leave thinking like, what a great country or what yeah. a great people, you know? Um, but I think as you, as cities get bigger and bigger and bigger and become more westernized and more kind of business centric, the cities lose that touch a bit. Mm. And I found that Vietnam is by far my favorite country I've ever visited. Is it? And I think it maybe sways because I spent about 17 days there. Mm. So it's quite a long time. And I think you, we traveled all up the basically the spine of Vietnam. So we saw loads of different things. Mm. And I found that the bigger city that Hanoi hmm. was the least, the place I enjoyed the least in the country. It just had that sort of, um, it's still an amazing place, uh, but it had that sort of vibe of being a bit scary at night hmm. in certain places. Um, there are obviously like the really crazily backpacker, backpacker places where everyone's just kind of getting pissed in the street and <laughs> that sort of like, you know, a hostile vibe. But I, I, never, I didn't feel as safe there at night. And there, we saw a few instant. I don't. I hate. Don't really like telling these stories too much. But I don't want to dissuade anyone from going anywhere. But mm. I think everyone should experience everything for themselves. But there was a few instances in places, uh, Hanoi being one, where we saw that crime happen in front of us. That was mm. quite devastating, to the point where like someone had like quite a large amount of their belongings taken mm. in a quite bizarre way. Like um, you see it in London now, actually, with the the moped crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How they kind of speed past you, and grab something. But it's a little bit more intense. We saw a girl who was walking in the streets, not that late, kind of like 7, 8 p.m. And she was taking photos of stuff and a moped came past and the guy on the back of the moped pulled a knife. Wow. And as, as while moving, as going past, cut the straps off her bag and her camera and took the lot as they, and they disappeared. And it happened right in front of us. And it was just like, whoa. And then we, we had a guide actually on that day and he'd already warned us to like hold on to our belongings mm. with our hands. Don't like have them on straps. So we knew going into that and kind of having them in your body and not outwards. Um, but obviously she, this, this poor girl didn't know that. Um, mm. But again, yeah, off the point a little bit. I think I like to believe that everyone's nice, but there are obviously places where you have to be exercise a bit of caution because unfortunately there is, you know, people that struggle out there and they feel like that's the only thing they can do to, to make ends meet and keep going. It's not that they want to be criminals, it's not that they want to ruin someone's holiday or whatever. They just have very little options yeah 
so that's you know you have to be kind of sensitive to that um no particular place that has the nicest people but uh rural vietnam was very hospitable mm. i find the people in japan to be incredibly respectful mm, okay they're very respectful people like they're respectful of their of themselves respectful of their families of of the places they live like everywhere super clean mm. and i find yeah that they're very respectful people and they'll show interest in what you're doing and beyond you know to make a sale or to get you to buy something they'll, they'll want they, they want to know where you come from you know how things are different in your country and their country yeah. i remember once i i told uh this waitress asked her she was like what are you doing in japan and we were like oh we're we making a video for mm. this and she was like oh youtube is like, oh, amazing what's your channel like like what mm. other videos do you make where else have you been like mm. and instantly she was like, really excited to talk to us um so yeah that's that's nice but i think those two places are quite uh they strike my memory i think nice How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So you've said that Vietnam's your favorite country. 
like you've mentioned in Japan, I had Japan down uh, in preparation in case you said it, because I watched the video you mentioned about having the piece of technology you put on your head yeah. and you walked around and it kind of essentially read your mind in the simplest possible way to explain. Could you elaborate on that for everyone and kind of explain what the premise of that video was? Yeah, so um, it was it was a job for Lufthansa, the German airline, um, and they were trying to create this campaign, which was less about kind of like buying uh, buying seats on planes it was more about uh how people associate with travel and what uh, and kind of like the, the things that you like about travel but to the point where it was less about i like travel because uh you know i like taking photos or whatever it was like what emotion do you feel when you see mm. certain things and they teamed up with this um university that had made this this device this company uh, it came out of university research and it's essentially read your synapses in your head and your brain. And it, it wasn't like it could read your mind. It basically could read when certain parts of your brain were stimulated. And like with, within neurology, those parts of the brains are linked to certain emotions. So like if this part was the flag or this part was the synapse, it would be like, oh, this is your happiness. This is your joy. Okay. If this part, it was like, this is your intrigue. This is your like, you know, curiosity and inquisitiveness. This part is something else, you know? And it was like, um, it, was, it ended up being, for me, all of my emotions were the same with every place I went, <laughs> which I think, I think it's just me. It was always intrigue and happiness. They were oh. the two that flared up the most to the point where I was like trying, to, I was trying to like bring up reflectiveness so much. I was like, quick, think of something. Think of something. <laughs> it doesn't really work like that, unfortunately. Um, it was, it was, I say it's, it's reasonably accurate mm. in terms of what I felt at the time, but it was difficult because we went to, in Japan where it's in September is incredibly humid. So uh, the sweat basically on my head would make the, the receptors not function as well. Yeah. So I, it, it only worked for very short spaces of time. So we'd have to get the data really quick. Mm. And then they essentially they turned that into a video where I made, I made a cut of my trip for them to use on their website, mm. which was quite cool for me at the time. Cause I was like an airline has, contracted yeah. me to like make their campaign video and yeah. also make a youtube video so it was great and then in the video as i was walking around seeing these things they had like a graphic on the screen which showed which parts of my brain were being seen and they tied that in with a campaign for users to go on a website look at photos uh, and then based on how long you spent on the photos like what parts you zoomed into what parts yeah. you scrolled up on would then say like which of these destinations you should probably go to next because these are the things that interested you mm, nice and eventually that would obviously lead back to them flying with Lufthansa, Lufthansa instead of anyone else but yeah it's just interesting like live the adventure rather than take a photo of it and then forget about it yeah brilliant so intrigue and happiness the two best emotions arguably you could ever experience whilst away on holiday where in Japan would you say you were the happiest um so we because it was only a six-day trip we only got a chance to go to really three places which was Tokyo Mount Fuji and Kyoto hmm. Kyoto was like unreal for me like i absolutely loved it because in the in the town city ish you've got like all of the modern amenities that you could need you know if you want to stay in a nice hotel you've got it if you want to go to lots of restaurants you've got them like the, mm. the luxury is there if you want it but also there's incredible history a lot of a lot of some of japan's most iconic temples are there and i got really really into learning about like shogun samurai and stuff when i was there nice and um, and we we uh we actually the company that we the the agency that we did the project with had put us onto this company. I always forget the name of it, and it annoys me so much <laughs> because I wish I could remember it because I'd use it for everything. 
I think it might only be Japan specific. It was essentially like Airbnb, but for tour guides. Okay. So you you would like um you'd go on there and you'd say like I'm going to this place, and it would give you like a list of experts, and most of them were like retired history teachers. Hmm. So they were just trying to make a bit of income on the side. You know, they'd, they'd retired from their main careers. Uh, and you could hire them for a really like affordable amount a day just to have be a private tour guide. Wow. And uh, we did that for every temple we went to. We had three different guys. Uh, I've still got the business card of a few of them, actually. <laughs> um, they're really, really cool guys. But because they were all history teachers, they had immense knowledge. Mm. So they taught us through like the the all the sieges that this particular temple had been involved in, like how the statue was the statue of um, the fallen warrior, because that's what they do in Japan. They honor the people that they defeat by putting a statue of them in their house. Mm. So it's just quite cool, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so like that by far, Kyoto was full of so rich in culture and rich in um, in history, and it had some really nice uh, natural kind of beauty as well, with like the bamboo forest, which is something you see quite a lot in images it's essentially like a forest of bamboo trees mm. um and as you walk through it you have to get there super early in the morning because it gets really busy yeah when you get and it's also stupidly hot with, it, with under under all the trees and stuff it's um so but you get there and all you can hear is just like the creaking of the bamboo oh nice and it's just like swaying and it's like quite surreal um and that so that's nice and also they have a lot of the uh like geisha coach geisha culture there yeah so you can go and see like a geisha show which is like you know the the ancient um tradition of like singing and uh, playing music with like all of the makeup and the incredible mm. clothes also loads of puppetry that sort of thing so kyoto is just like, an amazing place and if you fly into tokyo which most people do you get to get the bullet train to get there mm. which is amazing yeah nice so moving nicely on from kyoto i want to ask you what your favorite city in the world is that's a good question oh, kyoto is up there i won't lie yeah. to you yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyoto's up there more locally i love seville in spain yeah yeah amazing city i think i think it's a beautiful city like uh, i've been there a few times and had different experiences i had a girlfriend while i was at university that was studying out there mm. so i kind of saw it from like a local perspective as well with the friends that she'd made kyoto yeah hoi an in vietnam i don't know if you've heard anyone talk about hoi an before no i don't think i have i carl watson spoke about hanoi but not hoi an hoi an should be on everybody's bucket list nice it's an amazing town like riverside town and also within within you know touching distance of the coast it's not too far up the road mm. but it's amazing places where a lot of people go to get when they go to get their suits made and things you get their yeah, garments yeah, yeah. made because it's like the, the garment area of um of uh vietnam but it's just like really pretty really vibrant I had a, a quite an interesting nightlife for kind of young travelers mm. uh but it, it just like it had a really good vibe about it and because it's near the near the sea as well as being kind of like a cool town and it, just google it and you'll yeah, see yeah, yeah. just from the, the textbook picture it's like yeah that looks like a place i want to go and yeah then you'll i remember completely... seeing lanterns and that's it around the street yeah incredible place and, and then when you go there you're completely like yeah do you remember one thing in particular that you did in um, hoi an i was in pretty uh pretty crazy nights actually <laughs> so maybe that's why i don't remember too <laughs> yeah. much but... We had we had suits made while we were there, which was a nice. really interesting experience. How do they compare to UK suits? A lot cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, a lot more. A lot. I feel like there's a lot more care that goes into it. Yeah. Uh, but you do feel a bit bad. Like we, uh, I tipped pretty heavily afterwards mm. because um, they made like a custom suit for me, which I wore for like years afterwards really? until I I grew out of it. <laughs> um, uh, in an, in less than a day. 
And like, based on the time that we got measured and when we picked it up, actually they sent it back home over the post. So I didn't even have to take it with me the rest of the travel, which was great. But the time it was ready to then go and like try it on and have any alterations was less than 24 hours. So you know that someone was working overnight on it. Mm. And I was just like, wow, I feel a bit bad now. So I like tips quite heavily for that. Um, But I mean, when I say cheap, I mean, it was like 40 quid Mm. for for, for a tailored suit. Yeah. And I had one that was like a tweed jacket uh like chinos rather than like a, a, a traditional suit mm. yeah and they were just like so happy to be like yeah we've got like any material you can imagine the color we've got it all so like you tell us what you want we'll make it happen and it's like they're really nice there i just have like a uh, fond visual memories of that place i'd love to go back a, 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 a um a ceo of a company that i do a lot of work with uh he went and worked out there for like two weeks last year Oh, nice. And he just like hearing the stories was like, yeah, that was a, a yeah. year before last actually. He was like, yeah, now I remember why well, that's such a cool place. But there are other places that I have fond memories of and would say like, yeah, that was one of my favorite city experiences, but for different reasons. So a lot, lot of work things like a few places in South America that I've been, I've done for work. Uh, not necessarily, not necessarily my own YouTube channel, but for other, other clients just have really interesting stories uh, that were interesting, like, Bogota or Kazuka, mm. which is like a, to- a small like hillside town, just about an hour outside of Bogota in Colombia. Um, Buenos Aires, uh, Cape Town, South Africa. Nice. Like, yeah, there's a, they're all different stories, but Cape Town's a really interesting one. I don't know if you want me to go into it or not now, but yeah, I was going to ask you about an underrated city because obviously yeah. you mentioned a few there, and I like hearing kind of hidden gems and places which are perhaps a bit more unique. So from everywhere you visited in the entire world, is there a city you would say is underrated? I would say there are places that I've been to that I wouldn't necessarily say to someone you should go to. Mm. But at the same time, I had a very culturally rewarding or like an awake, awakening, culturally awakening of sorts, or a little bit more of like where you kind of start thinking, oh yeah, this is how the world works. Mm. Um, this is a bit more broader picture, Ma- mainly rural or like suburban towns next to a big city that you go to on holiday. Mm. So I don't know if I'd yeah, necessarily say there's too many under underrated places. I think a lot of places in Europe are underrated. I think like Slovenia as a country is incredibly mm. underrated. Uh, amazing natural beauty there incredible mountain range with triglav like uh, you know comparable to the alps for me triglav mm. like it's not as big but it's like in terms of the sort of hikes you can do and the sort of adventure activities you can do like paragliding and stuff it's amazing and you've got like places like lake bled which is like probably one of the most places on Insta- photograph places on instagram i think at the moment yeah that's that's good yeah i think just anywhere where you can kind of there are a lot of places where you wouldn't necessarily find in a travel brochure but you'll get a really great experience uh, places yeah. like you know the, the rainforest of brunei like, mm. when would you go there like, yeah. or even if you go to malaysia make sure you go to malaysia borneo make sure mm. you get the, you get the boat or the plane to the island and go and do like go and do something crazy like weird like an orangutan rehabilitation center in sepalok or go and mm. do like uh go and do some paragliding off of mount kinabalu i just do like something that's a bit weird and you wouldn't do it um i say yeah actually i I, I would say that i'd say borneo malaysia borneo or the island of borneo any side of it indonesia side brunei or malaysia side it's an amazing place and unfortunately it's it's getting destroyed by the the like millions of hectares a year at the moment Mm. so um uh for for logging but it's it's an amazing place. I, I definitely recommend that. So if I had to ask you to choose between city breaks or sun lounges, what would you choose? Neither. 
because <laughs> like city breaks are good and i think they're good to go and get a uh, you know a good bit of culture or history mm. uh and also architecture as well like people underestimate the architecture around the world like yeah. and also how how it's traveled so like going to places like mexico or argentina or chile Mm. And you're like walking around the streets and you're like, this could be Madrid because of just mm. the way that it is, you know, it's all Spanish colonial places. Um, and kind of like appreciating that history or also appreciating for how dodgy it is, but um, like witnessing it, you know, kind of connecting the dots while you're there, not just kind of like aimlessly walking around, like start yeah. thinking about it as a story. Uh, so city breaks are good. If I had to choose between those two, I'd probably be city breaks. But for me, I'm all about uh, rural. I like mountains. I like uh, wilderness. I like wildlife, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's exactly what Carl Watson said. He said mountains when I asked him to choose between city breaks and beaches. So yeah, you share a lot in common. Yeah, mountains for sure. Nice. So I want to talk about your YouTube channel because obviously there's not been as many videos as people would like on there in the recent years. I remember Robbie Knox, when I watched your video, when you went for a walk with him, he's leading the campaign to get you to start making YouTube videos again. <laughs> Can we expect YouTube videos in the future? hundred percent. No, no, yeah. I'm, I'm really keen to do it again. Um, the, the main reason I, I, it hasn't been done is because I've, uh, working on this uh, motorsport called Formula E mm. uh, has been so much travel. And it seems like, it seems so crazy to say it, it's been so much travel and you think, well, why don't you make videos when you're going there? But also we're working so hard. I wouldn't mm. have the time. Um, and then other travel I've done have just been for other clients where I've been hired to do a job. So it's kind of like not fair for me to go and make my own content uh, in the way that I would like to while out there. So it's kind of, it's not why I didn't like it to, to the other side of it um, is that I did sort of fall out of love with the, the data, the pressure side of mm, YouTube. Okay. I love to travel, but I, it, it was coming a little bit too familiar that I would go to a place for the purpose of making a video rather than making a video about going to a place. Mm. And I just remember there's like a handful of examples. I have like the three sisters in in Katumba, which is just outside of Sydney in Australia, which is like this amazing natural phenomenon, which is just three massive rock like sculptures in the ground, which make up kind of three pillars that look, they call it the three sisters. Um, and it's over this incredible range of the Blue Mountains National Park. Wow. And it's just like, it's just like uh, grass and trees and kind of mountains for days. And, it's, and, and there's, a, there's a certain viewpoint you can go to and it's just the best sunset you've probably ever seen in your life. Wow. Um, and I remember going there uh, at sunset and I took a thousand photos in the space of 45 minutes what uh, mostly because i was trying to get like time-lapse shots so i was kind of like lots yeah, yeah, of different yeah. things and loads of video at the same time bits the camera trying to get the sunlights for all on kind of multiple cameras uh, and just as the sun was going down like the last sort of few minutes of the sun going behind the mountains i was like where's the last 45 minutes of my life gone mm -hmm. i've just i've just put I, I, all i've all my memory of this now is going to be via this these photos and via these things like i didn't appreciate this moment which i might not get to do again turns out i did exactly the same thing about a year later <laughs> <laughs> i didn't know that at the time but uh and i was that was one time i thought okay this is not this is not what i got into this for this is not what i've you know i'm not making the most of these experiences and another time was um a, a, one of the paragliding trips i'd done in Slovenia, where um we'd done some paragliding off the top of this mountain and i was doing loads of content at the time i was making a few things for a few different people as well as myself and we set off and i was like gopro mounted on my chest 360 camera mounted on another thing 
my normal vlogging camera in my hand mm. and uh, sorry and then another 360 which was a samsung one because i was doing a samsung job at the time yeah. like this so i was like paragliding <laughs> with four cameras and when we land and we la- and it's over a beautiful like the, the national park i talked about the mountains all over that all over amazing land and we landed and i was just like don't remember it wow i have no idea what i've just done uh i have had sit you know four different angles of it but uh i thought this isn't yeah this isn't doing it for me anymore so i decided to take a step back and just it just so happened that it coincided with all this extra work yeah so yeah, i sort of never had the i never refound the love again while i was doing this other stuff but i've, I've refound it now and now it's just about obviously i, I can't make much travel content now uh, at the moment so it's just kind of like being patient holding holding on to the idea that i'm going to make it but also i'm very cautious that because of all of the travel that i've done in the past I, as i mentioned at the start i now only want to make things that have a purpose mm. or have a positive impact so i've got ideas loads of ideas and loads of things that i want to do so it would just be once we can start moving again it'll be doing that and it's going to be interesting because if i'm saying like i want to have the least impact possible mm. you know do i ever do a long-haul flight again yeah if i do, do how do i offset my how do i you know counteract those that that co2 emissions like do i go and do some volunteering projects like i had a, a month in indonesia planned uh, in may this year oh. which got cancelled of course uh and it was in between two formula e races so i was limiting my flights i was basically fl- one in seoul and one in jakarta mm. so i was going to just get a short haul flight from J- seoul to, to bali do a month in indonesia and then i'd be in jakarta ready for the next race rather than going long haul uh, England, Korea, Korea, England, England, mm. Jakarta, Jakarta, England. I took two of the long haul flights out. So I was cutting my emissions, huge, massive amount. Uh, and then while we were there, we were going to do two weeks of uh, marine conservation volunteering. So I was like, this is my giving back. So that is probably what travel is going to look like for me now. Mm. And I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm really excited because I think those experiences, they give you a whole new side of it. It's incredibly local. So you get like a real local side. It's not like tour guide, tour trips, itineraries, and nice hotels. It's like basic accommodation, real people, real issues that you want to be, a, you know, have a positive impact on. Fantastic. And I want to talk about food and drink now, because from doing the vast amount of travel that you've done, you must have tasted food and drink from all around the world and be able to answer this question brilliantly. Where in the world has the best food? Whoa, what a question. What a question. I think it's, it's quite a subjective question based on everyone's taste. Yeah. But obviously there are some places you can go where you can have some really wild food, mm. like deep fried tarantula and scorpion in, in Asia and stuff. Mm. Um, quite bizarre. And there are places that I know known for like the culinary expertise, you know, places. Um, okay, here's the list though. Um, oh. I made a note of this before because I thought this question might come up and I was nice. like, I feel passionate. I'm quite passionate about food. So yeah. I want to make sure I answer right. Something I haven't contended with properly yet is that uh, I switched to a plant-based diet about a year ago. Okay, yep. I've been to South America twice since having this diet and I've basically been laughed out of restaurants <laughs> <laughs> for like uh, asking like what they have for like a vegan or what they have for a vegan diet. And they'll put onto this and it's like, I oh, know it's got cheese in it. And they're like laughing, but they just basically point at the salad then laugh and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's it's challenging. And I, I, you know, I, I'm, I think I'm going to get quite big into like vegan travelers and see mm. like what they eat. Mm. Um, but anyway, but this pre pre plant based, I've had some pretty cool experiences. So, hawker markets in general okay. uh, in Asia are a big thing. It's like a big covered market with loads of stalls, uh, all selling different sort of food. Imagine like a food court, but it's more like rather than a shopping center, it's like in the streets and it's kind of on little stands. Everything's very like family orientated, mm. and then you just sit in the middle 
and eat, everyone eats different bits. And it's like, it's like where people go to hang out, but you get some amazing local food there where everyone has their own little take on things. Yeah. So you might have like one dish that you've had in England or you've had anywhere in the world, but you'll never have it like you have it from this guy who makes it in his own special way, uses certain ingredients. So Hawker markets are really cool for that. And you can nice. go there and try like a little rice dish here and then have a little noodle dish here or then have like a little fish dish here and you can just kind of like tap at it. Mm. Um, and just have like a feast of all these different things, uh, kind of great street food. They're, the two best places I've had those are Singapore, uh, Hong Kong, and uh, Penang in Malaysia. Nice. And could you pick your favorite out of those three? Penang. Yeah. Because Malaysia is really, Malaysia has three quite dominant cultures, all living within the same country. It has like the like Asian Buddhist, it has Asian Islam, and it has really strong Christianity. Mm. and with that you have all the different cultures coming together and with that is food as well so like you have some places where you would never see pork on the menu and other places which have more of the chinese uh, influence and there's loads of pork yeah, yeah yeah. so you go to penang and it's like the most beautiful combination of all three cultures to the point where you walk down the street and you've got like mosque church temple mosque yeah. church temple all next door to each other um and everyone's living everyone there's very little conflicts everyone just kind of gets about their life and that in the food is really cool mm. if you are a meat eater and i wouldn't i don't condone a lot of beef eating now just because <laughs> of the carbon footprint yep. but uh there is nowhere in the world that makes steak like buenos aires yep okay to the point where like they show off about how tender it is because when cut it with a spoon wow <laughs> and the portions are ridiculous like absolutely ridiculous and i think it mainly comes down to places like australia and chile and Argentina that have great meat is because mm. they allow their cows to roam in like hundreds of acres of land. There's mm. no like factory farming. And I think that just makes like a happier animal and better meat as a result of it. But those days are behind me now. And yeah. it's kind of weird to say that, but um, yeah, no, I think those, I'd say those two places for sure. Nice. So we've got the places nailed down, but can we go a bit more intricate and try and find a particular dish? So is okay. there something which comes yep. to mind, something you've eaten, which you would say is the best thing you've ever eaten whilst abroad? And I'm aware how difficult that question must be to answer. I think that the steak in Argentina, like yep. I, if I think about it, I can, okay, I can taste it now. <laughs> I've actually, I don't know if it's still here. I've got the, like a business card from the restaurant that I keep on my desk. Nice. And even then I just look at it and I go, oh, yeah, it's called La Cabrera. It's a, it's a, a, a quite infamous restaurant in, in Buenos Aires mm. that does great, great steak. That's the place that they do the spoon thing. It's quite awesome. um, steak, a nice bit of steak and a nice Argentinian Malbec. And you've got the, all the all the dinner you could want. Yeah. Uh, so that'd be one. And I would say there's a dish in Malaysia, which I'm just trying to remember the name of it. And I don't want to say it wrong because it's, it's in Malaysian. It is called, I keep thinking, I've got, I'm saying something in my head, but I know it's wrong. And that's <laughs> the name of the place. Bear with me one, <laughs> yeah, one yeah, second. Yeah, no worries, mate. No worries. My girlfriend, my girlfriend loves it as well. So I'll ask her. <laughs> nice. Got it. Nice. Got it. Okay. I think I'm it's going to keep called, all this uh, in. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's called a uh, charky charky tau. Spell. Uh, spell. It's like C H A R K W K W E T W A something. It's it's odd spelling, but mm. uh, it's an amazing like um, noodle dish. But the noodles are kind of like almost pasta like. Okay. Uh, and it yeah it there's get that street food version of that in uh in penang in particular was amazing and we've got a picture on our fridge of us eating it nice we loved it so much um, and one of the best one of the my most favorite photos i've ever taken was in that street food market of the guy making it amazing. and it's basically this guy cooking it in this massive saucepan and there's like sparks and flames everywhere it's like 
yeah. unreal so they, they're the dishes steak and and uh yeah nice and i know youtube is a world of hyperbole but you describe that an amsterdam cookie as the best cookie you've ever eaten from van stapelle van stapel i'm not too sure yeah a chocolate cookie to, to date still the best one is it nice yeah that was that was three four years ago i've still never had anything like it <laughs> what made it so special I, I don't know. And I think if they told us, they'd probably not go out of business because <laughs> whatever they're doing is great. I mean, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to connect any dots, but Amsterdam, and yeah. <laughs> I wonder. Um, but no, it was honestly just like baked to perfection to the point where it had, it had the crunch, but also like the most amazing softness as well. Mm. And they were quite hefty as well in size. Yeah, um, and we got good. told about them, like, I'll oh, go to this place. It was great cookies but they didn't prepare us for how good it would be. <laughs> nice. And I want to move on now a little bit away from food, but on to drink because listening to the episode you did with Robbie Knox on his channel, I really enjoyed hearing you speak about coffee because you spoke about it with such passion and it really came across how much you loved it. You've learned a lot about it as well. So I'm going to describe you as a coffee connoisseur. I don't know how well that sits <laughs> with you. <laughs> It's fine. I worry yeah. about what, but if I say the wrong thing, people are like, this guy's so full of crap. Like, no, that's me. No, I think I've, coming I'm from me, it's absolutely that. fine. Okay. But which country in the world makes the best coffee? Colombia. Colombia. No far. one comes close. Yeah. The region of, of South, that region of South America or Central America, they all make good stuff. Um, Guatemala, actually, Guatemala and Colombia, it's pretty, it depends on the bean. Mm. But there, there are, there are, I've had great, probably really nice. I think most recently I'm saying Colombia because I've most recently had a, uh, bean from Colombia that I really like, but there is a Guatemalan one, Guatemalan one that sticks in my head. It's all nice. because of where they are in the world. It's altitude based. It's oh, on the it? equator and altitude. Ah, okay. It's something, it's something about yeah the the soil density, the the climate, uh, and the altitude, which just makes seems seemingly makes great coffee. And I know a lot of people will say that they prefer that kind of like the slightly more bitter African coffee. Because it's you know more acidic, it's lower. But for me, yeah, South American coffee is the one. Sadly, it's it's one of the things that is being affected so quite heavily by climate change. It is it is difficult for them out there at the moment. They they're not they're not guaranteed good yields. And like in that part of the world where there isn't a lot of money going around for rural farmers, like it's quite um quite devastating. That's something I want to do on my channel actually. I want to go yeah. and do like coffee stuff in in South America, maybe Colombia or Costa Rica, but about these places that are struggling and just get the message the word out there a bit more. Nice. So that's really valuable decent content. Look forward to seeing that kind of stuff on your channel in the future as well. I want to move it back to more of the staple questions from the podcast now and ask you is there a holiday or trip that means the most to you? Mm, good question. That's something that I think everyone should think about a bit more. Actually what what, what things mean to you that trip the malaysia trip was really good but it was malaysia and singapore and i was with the girlfriend it was our first proper big trip together mm. uh and we went to yeah we did a few different places in malaysia we did an island like a kind of like nice tropical island and then we did singapore and borneo also was mm. in that trip and that was just like it was great for us as a couple to do that we had some really cool experiences like feeding eagles off the back of jet skis in langkawi nice. which was like just such a bizarre thing to say. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was good. Alaska as well. That means a lot to me just because it reminds me about the natural world. Yeah. It reminds me about like how important it is to protect it because of, you know, there's only, a, there are only a few places that have that sort of outstanding beauty, but you need to find it everywhere. And like, even that means just going to Scotland and you'll find mm. a lot more than you probably think. 
Absolutely. Nice. So we spoke quite positively about travel now. So I want to kind of turn it on its head and ask you, is there a place from your travels which you would never go back to? I'm not sure there's anywhere that I've disliked that much that mm. I would say I'm never going back there. Um, there's been a few places like in between destinations that I probably would potentially avoid. And I say now I'm older as the grumpy old man that I'm sort of turning into. I probably wouldn't now go to like the party islands. I think when you're young, like lap it up, enjoy it, get the most out of it. Be res- like, But most importantly, be respectful of where you are. There's mm. too many people that go out there and they just treat it like a dump and they don't like... They're not, they're not courteous to the people that live there. They're not, you know, but um, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do that now, but I don't think there's anywhere that I dislike that much. You know, I don't think there's a few places where I've had like really sketchy and, and like borderline, you know, life-threatening experiences, but I wouldn't say don't go there because of that. I just say mm. go there with, with the idea that it might be unsafe at certain points, you know, but yeah, nowhere I'd say not to go. Let's uh, make it a little bit pos- more positive now and spin it on its head. A place that you could always go back to somewhere you find yourself going back to over and over again. Even though I only went there for six days, I think I could go back to Japan and always find something different every time. Mm. Um, because it's just like, you've got the bonkers, like light and, you know, pure just craziness of Tokyo. Mm. And then you've got complete serenity in Kyoto. It's like quite a vast disparity there. So you can really get, and there's amazing skiing as well. I keep hearing about as well in, in Japan as well. So but I think to keep it realistic, especially in current times and maybe going forward, I don't think you can underestimate Scotland. Mm. Like Scotland is a breathtakingly beautiful place. I'd go, I, I, like if my life was different now, I'd like buy a house in Scotland and go there every weekend. Really? Like, yeah, the weather is, you know, it's like the worst weather in the UK. It's like 364 days of rain, essentially. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, well, when it is nice, it's absolutely beautiful. And like you get a, as good hikes there as you would in the Alps as you would mm. in like anywhere really apart from say like North America or New Zealand or something yeah yeah people definitely underestimate this uh, Scotland just because of how local it is essentially whereabouts in Scotland would you buy your house if you could buy a house anywhere uh, I think probably somewhere around Glencoe because you're mm. on that western highlands uh, you can travel up and get to like Gairlock and even go as far as like, as far as like Fort William and go proper at, uh, on the islands as well and go into the uh, outer, Hebr- outer Hebrides and the and the uh, as far as the Faroe Islands if you wanted to get a long old boat. Mm. But uh, yeah, somewhere around there because you've also got like nice seaside towns like Oban, which is just a really cool, like just a nice place. Nice. And you've got all great climbing and they're great great uh, hikes with. Ben Nevis and uh, all the other Monroes that are around there, which is some great mountain range. Lovely. And now let's make it a hypothetical situation because obviously with your work to be more conscious when you travel, this dream destination, the question might put you in a difficult situation. So I'm going to say that you can click your fingers and instantly be in any country you want in the world and you don't have to take a flight. Where in the world would you choose to go? I've never been to New Zealand. Have you not? No, and that is like... It just seems like a bit of me, mm, like yeah. mountains, uh, kind of a relatively mild climate, just like outstanding natural beauty. Like it sounds like somewhere I would just want to live there. I think if I mm. went, maybe that's why I haven't gone yet. Cause I don't feel I, I maybe wouldn't come back, <laughs> but there's also some other places like I'm really keen to go to Antarctica because yep. it's a continent that I've never been to. And also I worry about, so balancing uh, my concerns about my own sort of carbon footprint and impact on the planet by travel. Mm. I also am very aware that there are going to be places that won't be there in a way more recent future than we think. 
I kind of want to make sure I go to those and if I am making videos, kind of show them for what they are mm. while they are as they are. Uh, so Antarctica is one of them. I think like places like Machu Picchu is there, places mm. like the Maldives or other island nations. Costa Rica, I think, is probably where I might do the coffee thing. Yeah. And also, I love that country because like 99% of their energy comes from renewable energy. Yeah, I read that bit actually. Yeah. I love that. I think that's yeah. so cool. And it's just that they're using their amazing natural resources like geothermal and uh, tidal energy and hydro, hydro, hydro um, electricity. And they're just like nailing it. There's a lot of, yeah, there's an off, there's an other side to it with potential environmental impact of like building dams and things. But use, like, you've got loads of volcanoes, you've got loads of hot air and hot water using the natural flow of it to make energy. It's just like, yeah, everyone should be doing that. Like, mm. why are we still drilling holes in the bloody ocean? Like, yeah. you've got all this amazing, like, you know, stuff that's free and sustainable to use. So yeah, Costa Rica would be up there for sure. I think I've, Costa Rica and New Zealand, where I think even though I've never been there, they're two places I think I could live. Yeah. Is there anywhere that you have been that you immediately thought, actually, you know what, I could live here? Uh, Seville, Spain. Yeah. I, I, I speak like a basic conversational Spanish. Uh, so I like that. I think that's probably why I like Costa Rica as well. So I, could, I think I could live in Spain. I think I could pr- be pretty comfortable in Canada, Canada as well. Mm. Um, I've only ever been to the east coast of Canada. So I'm yet to do Vancouver or you know, the the majority of the Rockies or the mountain areas, but um, I've done Toronto and like the start of the shield. So kind of like Algonquin provincial parks, kind of mm. where, where the nature starts and then kind of goes crazy as you go further West. But yeah, they're the they're places I think I could live having not actually properly been there. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, this episode has been absolutely brilliant. So many stories and I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Saunders. I really appreciate it. It was a, a pleasure, like... Uh, I think listening to your podcast over the last few weeks and oh, obviously talking about this with you now, it's um, without getting too deep. It's uh, it's really helped me actually because it's made me think about travel again and like really thought about uh, like all the things that I've, I've been lucky enough to do. Um, and it, you know, you know, it makes you think. It makes you think about experiences you've had. Hmm. Uh, and you and every time you, I think it's really important, especially in a time like now, to remember all of those amazing moments that you've had already and that you hmm. plan to have because it seems like every day is a you know a groundhog day at the moment mm. everyone's from at home there's not a lot going on it all seems pretty bleak but to have some of the experiences that i've had already as someone that's not even 30 yet mm. i feel like i've done about 53 countries i'm not even yeah. 30 yet wow and i just think like i'm so lucky to do that where some people won't do that in a lifetime some people won't do a, a tenth of that in a lifetime mm. So I, yeah, I, I think it's really important and I, I, I appreciate the work that you do in this podcast because it, it does really bring back that wonderlust and make you kind of think about those moments. Thank you, mate. That really means a lot. Appreciate that a lot. It's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure chatting to you, mate. Thank you. So there we go. That was episode 18 of Travel Talks with the show's new co-host, Saunders CB. If this is the first episode of Travel Talks you've listened to, then there are 17 other episodes full of amazing stories from a wide range of guests, so why not make your way through all of them? Just to go back to what Saunders said at the end of the podcast there, I hope Travel Talks has allowed you to remember some of your amazing memories from previous travels and got you thinking more positively during this tough year. If anyone has been struggling and doesn't have anyone to turn to, then please feel free to message me on Instagram because I'd be more than happy to talk to you. Thank you to every single one of you for your support on the show so far. This started off as just a hobby in lockdown 2.0 and it's starting to grow in popularity, which honestly, I am so, so grateful for. Every single review, share, time that you've told your friends or family, it's all really appreciated more than you could honestly believe. So thank you very much. 
As always, I'll be back next Monday with another show where this week I'll be joined again by Saunders to speak about our most underrated travel destinations, the weirdest foods we've ever eaten, and if we could take any celebrity on holiday to anywhere in the world, where would we go, who would we go with, and what would we do? It's honestly a really funny episode, and I really enjoyed recording it, so I hope you enjoy listening to it too. That's enough for me anyway. I'll see you all next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.